So like I already mentioned, uh, this morning we are going to be unpacking and exploring the subject of judgment, of judging others. And to do that, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this subject under three headings. Okay, we're going to look at this subject of judgment under three headings. We're going to begin this morning by looking at the types of judgment, the types of judgment. Then after we look at the types of judgment, then we're going to look at the process of judgment, the process, and then we're going to conclude by looking at the standard of judgment. Okay, so the types, the process, the standard. So let's begin this morning by looking at the types of judgment. And to do that, I want to reread for you what Jesus says in verses 1 and 2 of this passage. Look what he says. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so what I want to do under this first point is I want to look at the types of judgment. But here's the thing about this passage Uh, in particular, verses 1 and 2. Out of all the passages in the Bible, this is by far, hands down, the culture around us, this is their favorite Bible verse. In in the post-modern Western culture that we live in, this is their go-to verse. They don't know any other verse in the Bible, but they know Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Judge. Our culture loves this verse. And what our culture does is they take this verse and they say, well, in light of what Jesus says in this passage, here's what this means. It means that we should not judge any person under any circumstances at any time. So they take this passage, that's how they apply it. Any person under any circumstances at any time. Now, the reason why our culture uh, loves this verse is because in our culture there's no such thing as sin. But if there's one thing, if there was ever anything that is a sin, it would be judging. Judging in our culture is probably the only sin that exists. Because how dare you judge me? Okay? Now part of the reason why judging is so primitive and medieval in the culture that we live in is because, think about it, in order for us to judge someone, there has to be an absolute standard that we are using in order to judge, right? But if we don't believe in absolute truth, which is what our culture does, they don't believe in truth, they don't believe there's an absolute truth, then the moment you remove absolute truth, you no longer have a standard by which to judge people. So it makes sense why judging doesn't exist in our culture, even though it does, but they don't think it does. Because, because when you don't have an absolute truth, there's nothing that you can judge people with. Does that make sense? But here's what's so ironic about our culture. When they say, you shall not judge, using this verse, what they're actually doing is judging the people who are judging. Right? Isn't that crazy? So, so, so they're like, hey, hey, you are being judgmental and you should not judge. And in using the verse, they are actually disobeying the very thing that they say Jesus is claiming. How ironic is that? Here's what I'm going to argue this morning. What we're going to look at, especially here under this first point, is that what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that we should never judge. That's not actually what Jesus is saying. And we know that because there are numerous places in the Bible where you see people judging. You don't even have to go look anywhere else. In the same passage that we're looking at right now, the reason why we know that Jesus doesn't mean that you shouldn't judge ever uh, at any time or any person under any circumstances, the reason why we know that that's not what Jesus is saying, is because in this very passage in verse 6, Jesus calls people dogs and pigs. 
I don't know about you, but if you call me a dog or a pig, I'm considering that a judgmental statement. Okay? So the reason why we know that Jesus isn't just saying this blanket statement that you should never judge ever is because if he was saying that, verse 6 would be considered a sin. But it's not a sin because that's not what he's actually saying. And here's the thing, it's not just here that we see that, it's, it's all over Scripture. Actually, a little bit later on in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, uh, in a few verses, Jesus says, beware of false teachers. That's judgment. In order for me to classify you as a false teacher, I have to make a judgment call, right? Then you go a little bit further in the book of Matthew to Matthew 18. Jesus talks about how to confront a brother that's in sin. In order to confront someone, you have to judge someone. And it's not just Jesus. You go to Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, you see the Apostle Paul confronting Peter because of his hypocrisy and his fear of man. Later on in the book of Corinthians, you see, you see Paul uh, uh, telling the church to, to confront and judge a man who's living in sexual sin. And so what we see in Scripture is that there's, there's no way that Jesus can be saying that all judgment is wrong. Because if that's what he was saying, then he and Paul and everyone else would be breaking the command that Jesus is giving. The problem is what our culture does is they pick one verse out and separate it from all the other things the Bible says about judgment. Now, here's the thing about, the, about judgment. Here's why this, this word, uh, this, and it's actually fascinating because you, you could just see how brilliant Jesus is. Like, you, you, a lot of times we want to be black and white. Can I do it or can I not do it? But the Bible many times with, with subjects, especially subjects like this, it's much more nuanced than just black or white. Yes, you can or no, you can't. And you see the nuance of it in what Jesus says here. Now, the reason why this, this, this concept of judgment is so nuanced is because of the definition of the Greek word for judgment. The Greek word for judgment is the word krino. Krino. It's the, the word that we get criticized from in English. That's what the Greek word is there, krino. And the reason why this word judgment is such a hard uh, uh, word to navigate is because the definition of judgment is very uh, uh, um, widespread. What I mean is that, that there's a large spectrum that it can mean. Depending on the context, judgment can mean one thing or it can mean a totally different thing. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a definition of the word judgment, the word krino, so that you can see what I'm, what I'm making reference to here. Okay, so this is the, the definition for the word krino. The word judgment in Greek. So it can mean one of two things. The first thing that it can mean, it can mean to evaluate, to discern, or to come to a conclusion. That's the first definition of it. So that's one side of the spectrum. Okay? But then on the other side of the spectrum, the same Greek word krino can mean to condemn, to accuse, or to sentence to damnation. Now, what I want you to see as I, as I lay out these two definitions, these two ends of the spectrum, is that we as Christians can do the first type, but only God can do the second type. Okay? That's why there's so much confusion with the word judgment. Because we as Christians, we are commanded to evaluate, to discern, to come to a conclusion, to have an opinion. We're commanded to do that. Right? But only God can do the second type. Only God can condemn. Only God can accuse. Only God can sentence someone to damnation. Here's the problem, though. The problem is, is that a lot of us spend the majority of our time doing the second type. The problem is, and this is what, uh, the, the problem, uh, this is what John Stott says in his commentary, the problem is, is not that we fail to be men, which is the first type to evaluate. John Stott, is, says that, that John Stott says that the problem is that we are trying to be God. 
that we are condemning and we are accusing and we are sentencing people to damnation where we have, when we have no right to do that. So I would, def- the, the, the first, I would describe the first type of judgment, the judgment that we can do, right, to evaluate and to discern. I would describe the first type of judgment as horizontal judgment. We are allowed to judge horizontally. But the second type of judgment is the one that only God can do, and I would describe that one as vertical judgment. We can do horizontal judging, but only God can do vertical. And you know what's so fascinating about God? That even though he's the only being in the universe that can actually do the second type of judging, you know what the Bible says in 2 Peter, I think, verse, chapter 3, verse 9, he says that God is slow to punish because he doesn't want anyone to perish. So, so the only being in the universe that can actually condemn and accuse and sentence the damnation is slow to do it because he doesn't want to do it. You know what's interesting is if you go to the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, there are two places in the book of Genesis where you see God judging a group of people. In Genesis chapter 11 and in Genesis chapter 18, you see God judging. In Genesis chapter 11, he's judging the Tower of Babel. And then in Genesis chapter 18, he's judging Sodom and Gomorrah. But you know what's so fascinating about that? That in both instances, before God brings judgment, it says that God came down to look. In both passages. In the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, in Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18, in both cases, God knows everything. He didn't have to come and look. And yet he's so reluctant to judge, he's so reluctant to condemn, that in both cases he came and looked. Just to make sure. What's crazy is that a lot of us, we, 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 we do the second type of judgment, the vertical judgment that we're not supposed to do, and then when we do it, we don't look. We do it quick. With no hesitation whatsoever. So not only are we doing something we're not supposed to do, we don't even do it right. And the one being in the universe that can do it is slow to do it. Okay? And so those are the two types. There's horizontal judgment that we can do, and then there's vertical judgment that only God can do. So when Jesus says judge not, he's not saying that we shouldn't uh, judge horizontally, evaluate, discern, come to a conclusion. What he's saying is that we cannot condemn. We cannot accuse. We cannot sentence them to damnation because only God can do that. Does that make sense? Okay. Now here's the thing I want to do. As we look at the the types of judgment, what I want to do is I want to ask uh, two questions. And what I want to do with these questions is I want to ask these questions so that as I ask and answer these questions, I want you to evaluate yourself. And to diagnose yourself. Because, because here's the thing about judgment. Every single person in here struggles with judgment to one degree or another. It's a very common sin. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I don't think I have a problem with judgment, just give me a few minutes and I'll convince you, okay? Just give me a little bit and I'm going to make you feel terrible, I promise, okay? So what I want to do with these questions is I want to ask you two questions. And as I ask and answer these questions, I want you to be evaluating yourself, self-diagnosing, to figure out, Where does your judgment come from and where does your judgment end up? So those are the two questions we're going to ask and answer. Where does our judgment come from and where does judgment end up? You see, because even though all of us struggle with it, it looks different from person to person. Okay? So the first question I want to ask as we look at the types of judgment is where does judgment come from? The first place, according to the Bible, that judgment comes from is our pride. Pride. 
Here's what I would argue. In order for you to judge someone, you have to feel superior to them. Okay? There's no way you can judge. And remember, I'm talking about the second type of judgment now. We, we, the first one is fine. I'm talking about the second one that only God should be doing. The only way you can judge someone is if you feel superior to them in some way. And you know what's interesting is that if you go back in the Sermon on the Mount, we were looking at a few weeks ago at the concept of anger. And Jesus equates anger with murder. And Jesus in that passage, he says that one of the ways that, one of the reasons why we get angry at people is because we see them as raka, R-A-C-A, raka. And it's not translated into English because there's really no English word for it. And in the Aramaic, what the word raka means is you see someone as less than nothing. You see someone as inferior to you. And what I would argue is that in order for you to be angry at someone and, and to judge someone, you have to see them as raka. You have to see them as a nobody. You have to see them as inferior. So whoever it is that you're judging right now, there is pride to some degree or another in your heart. Okay? Now another place that it can come from is not just pride, but our, our, our uh, judgment can also come from our, can we put the, thank you, okay, from idolatry. Here's the thing about idolatry. Some of you may have never heard that word before. You're like, what, what, what's idolatry? Well, here's what idolatry is in light of Scripture. Idolatry is when you worship something other than Jesus. It's all it is. So some of us worship our children, and some of us worship our money, and some of us worship our career, and some of us worship our retirement, and some of us worship our education. An idol is anything that you worship other than God. Okay? Now here's the thing about idols. Last week, we looked at the concept of worry. Pastor Rob did a wonderful job unpacking the subject of worry. And what I told Tri-Village at my church when I was preaching, I said, one of the ways that you can figure out what you're worshiping is by looking at what you worry about. Your worry will always reveal your worship. Your worship will always reveal your worry. Right? Because if I'm worshiping money and my money is being threatened, I'm going to get worried. If I worship my family and my family is being threatened, I'm going to get worried. And so one of the ways you can tell what you worship is by looking at what you worry about. But the same thing is true of judging. If you want to know what you're worshiping instead of Jesus, look at what you are tempted to judge or who you're tempted to judge. So if you're tempted to judge someone because they voted differently from you, then you probably have politics as an idol. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're tempted to judge someone because they parent different than you, you probably have family as an idol. If you find yourself judging other people and how much money they make, you probably have money as an idol. And so judging, just like worry, will always reveal what you worship. That's where judgment comes from. Another place that judgment can come from is not just our pride or our idolatry, but our prejudice. Our prejudice. You know what's fascinating about the word prejudice? It actually means to prejudge. That's the root of the word. Prejudice means to prejudge. And all of us, including myself, we struggle with prejudging people. You see, everyone here has a different story, a different background, a different family of origin, a different education, different experiences. And what happens as we go through life is we start to collect these, these prejudgments of others, these, these prejudices of other people. Okay? And again, that could, that could have been given to you from your parents or you just figured it out yourself. But, but here's, here's what prejudice means. It means that you have preconceived notions about others. Okay? And so because you have these preconceived notions about others, 
Those, those are the lenses by which you look at others. And what you do is, since those are already pre, you, sometimes you don't even know you've done it. It's, it's so ingrained in you, you don't even know you're doing it. But because that's the lens by which you're looking at life, all you're doing is looking for evidence to support the assumptions you have already made. So you're at the stoplight and a black dude walks by and you lock the doors. Because black people steal. See? We don't even know that we're doing it anymore. And here's the thing, here's the thing. If you're sitting here and you're white, right, you're going to start feeling white guilt. Like, man, I'm so, I'm so prejudiced, I'm so prejudiced. But listen, if you're a minority, you got the same problem too. Actually, minorities are worse because they feel justified in it. So prejudice is a, is a terrible one. That's for sure one of the places where our judgment comes from. Another one is this. It's not just our prejudice, but the next one is our insecurity. You know, one of the things I've noticed, at least in, in my time pastoring, that a lot of the times the, the most judgmental people are the most insecure people. And what they've decided is that a, 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 a good defense is, a, so the best defense is a good offense. And so I'm scared that you might be judging me in this area and that area. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to overcompensate by judging first. Another one is this. It's not just insecurity, but uh, the next one is, this is a huge one, unforgiveness. I can't tell you how many times I have sat down with married couples and the husband did something or the, the wife did something. And, and, and the person that was, was sinned against hasn't forgiven them. And, and so what happens is, is that every time there's an argument, every time there's a discussion, every time there's a disagreement, if the person that, that's the victim is losing, they just bring it out again. Yeah, but you did this. Yeah, yeah, I might be wrong, but, but you did this. Unforgiveness is terrible. Actually, that would be, I would argue, that out of all of them, this is the one where people are most rooted in. It's the one where, this is the type of judgment when it comes from a heart of unforgiveness. It's the type of judgment that the individuals are most likely to defend. Now, you can't tell me I can't judge them because I'm a victim. And when you're a victim, everyone's an aggressor. Okay? And then the last one is self-righteousness. And self-righteousness, I would argue, is the one that Jesus is actually getting after in this passage. You know why I know Jesus is getting after self-righteousness? Because the, the Sermon on the Mount was for two groups of people. He, in, in, in the whole sermon, Jesus, you could tell by the way he, he pre preaches it, his goal is to encourage disciples and to expose religious people. Encourage discipleship and expose self-righteousness. The Pharisees. Listen, the people who most hated Jesus wasn't the worldly people. It wasn't the irreligious people. It wasn't the liberal people. It was the conservative religious Pharisees. Not only were they the ones that hated him, they're the ones he, he hated too. So if you're sitting here, right, and maybe you haven't considered Christianity or maybe you walked away from the church and are considering coming back. And the reason why you uh, are, have left is because of religious people, because you don't like religious people. Guess what? Jesus hates them even more than you do. Self-righteousness is terrible, and yet it's one of the places where our judgment comes from. You know what self-righteous people do to make sure they can maintain their self-righteousness? What they do is they judge everyone else by their actions, and they judge themselves by their aspirations. So if they're in a meeting and someone blows up, in their mind, that person's angry. They have an anger problem. 
But if they blow up, oh, I just had a bad day. I'm just frustrated. That person shouldn't have said what they said. See? So everyone else gets judged by their actions, and they get judged by their aspirations. Everyone, everyone else gets judged by what they do, and they get judged by what they meant to do. That's an easy way to stay self-righteous. Okay? So that's where judgment comes from. But the second question I want to ask, and we'll go through this one a bit quicker as we diagnose ourselves, is not just, it's not just where does judgment come from, right, internally, but I also want to look at where does judgment end up externally? Where does your judgment end up externally? Let me give you some places where your judgment can end up. One of the places where your judgment can end up externally is with race. So you judge people of different races. Another one, and this is huge, is class. And by class, I mean socioeconomic status. Look, look, at Tri-Village Church, we have what, you, what would be called a multi-ethnic church. Percentage-wise, we have a lot of, 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 of different minorities at our church. But what I've noticed over the past two years is that it's much harder to have a, a, socially economic, a socioeconomically diverse church than a, a racially diverse church. So in other words, it's easier to have a white dude and a black dude next to each other than a rich guy and a poor guy next to each other. Because poor people judge rich people. Oh, you're rich because someone gave you that money or, or you, know, you, you, you were born with a, a silver spoon in your mouth or, 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 or you, you stole it from someone or, or you, you know, you're ruthless. So poor people are always judging uh, rich people. And rich people are always judging poor people. Oh, is that you're lazy? You rely on the government too much. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps so you can stop complaining. So one of the places where our judgment ends up is class. Another place where our judgment ends up is not just uh, race and class, but it's our family. Look, listen, some of the people that I am most tempted to judge in my life are related to me. Whether that's a spouse or a brother or a mother-in-law or, or, or whoever. But some of the people that we are most tempted to judge. Actually, some of us, we like, we like don't use our judgment muscle all year because we can't wait for the, we can't wait for the holidays to judge whoever the person at the... It's like you're stretching. You're like, ooh, I can't wait for this, man. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Honey, we got a lot to talk about on the way home. <laughs> right? Another one is this, politics. Look, at, in light of the season that we just came out of, this one's huge. This one's huge. Right? We, 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 we judge people based on how they vote. We, we, we judge people not based on the savior that died for them, but based on the candidate they voted for. That's crazy. But that's a huge one. Because if I'm on this side of the aisle, then all my enemies are on that side of the aisle. And how dare you vote for, for that person or that, that issue? You are less than human. You are Raqqa. You are inferior because of what you voted for. Another one is this. There's politics, and then the next one is Religion. And by religion, here's what I mean, that in, in Christianity, there's a bunch of rules that people, people love rules in Christianity. If you're new to the whole thing, let me just let you know uh, before, beware, right? Buyers, uh, just before you buy into this, just be aware of the fact that Christians love rules, right? So some Christians don't drink. Some Christians don't smoke. Some Christians don't watch TV. Some Christians don't dance. And, or some Christians only do homeschool and, or only do private school. And what happens is just like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, we come up with these man-made traditions that are not in Scripture, and we force them on other people. And so again, if you've ever left the church because people have judged you, 
like this. I want to apologize on their behalf. Because what they're doing is not biblical. And religion is one of the ways in which our judgment is manifested. And then the last one is this. Similarities. Here's what I mean by similarities. Listen, every single person in here is, going, is tempted to judge the people who are most like us. So, so here's what I mean. As a pastor, I'm not, I'm not judging or comparing myself to stay-at-home moms because I'm not a stay-at-home mom. I judge and compare myself with other pastors. Stay-at-home moms compare themselves and judge other stay-at-home moms. Businessmen judge other businessmen. You see? So my wife and I will go to someone's house and we'll get in the car and I'll be like, did you see how big that TV is? What, do they believe in the prosperity gospel? What's going on in this house? Right? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and, then my, and then my wife will say, oh, Will, stop judging. That's not nice. But did you see those kids? Those kids are a hot mess. <laughs> do they shower those kids? Like, do they, do they, is there any discipline going on at that house? See, I can care less about the kids and she can care less about the, the TV. Because we tend to judge the people who are most like us. Okay? So the first truth that we see here in this passage is we see the types of judgment. The next thing I want to look at in this passage is I want to look at the process of judgment. Because what Jesus does here in this passage for us is he actually gives us, once he tells us what not to do, he then tells us what to do instead. And in verses 3 through 5, Jesus provides for us a process by which we can judge others. He, he shows us how to do it in a way that is biblical and in a way that honors God and helps others. Look what he says in verses 3 through 5. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what Jesus does in verses 3 through 5 is he gives us the, the process of judgment. He tells us how to judge people in a way that honors God and helps them. Here's the two, there's a two-step process that he gives us, and here's the two questions you have to ask when you are about to judge someone. The first question is who... Who am I judging? And then the second question is, when should I judge them? Who and when? The first question is, who? Here's why this is so important. Because in this passage, what Jesus is saying, he says it multiple times. He says, brother, judging your brother, judging your brother. You know what that means, right? It means that as Christians, listen to this, the only people that we should judge are other Christians. That's it. The only people who we are allowed to judge biblically are other Christians. And some of you are like, oh, that's not true. I don't believe that. Well, look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13. Paul says, what business is it, is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Then he says, verse 13, God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Not the wicked person out there. The wicked person in here. See, what you see here in this passage is that we're allowed to do the first kind of judgment, right? Evaluate, discern, but only God can do the second type. Okay? So the first question you have to ask is, who am I judging? That's a very important question. 
Because you might be judged, because a lot of us, this is me included, we spend the majority of our time, we're judging people out there. And did you see what that person did? And I can't believe this person said that. And did you see our neighbor? And did you see our family member? And we're, we're spending all our time and energy judging people who don't know God. What do you expect? They don't know Jesus. You have no right to judge them. Okay? So the who is super important. And that's why in verse 6, this is really important. In verse 6, this is like probably the most confusing verse, but, and there's a lot of interpretations of it, but here's how I would describe it. In verse 6 where he says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Here's what's interesting about verse 6. I think that in verse 6, what Jesus is talking about is people who don't know Jesus. He's been talking to us about how to do it correctly. And then he says, listen to this, that for the people who don't know Jesus, when he talks about the pearls and the, the sacred food, he's talking about God's word and the gospel. He says, when you bring God's word to someone who doesn't believe in God's word, they don't care what you have to say. Right? If, if, I'm, if I'm trying to evaluate you, even if I'm doing it biblically, if I'm trying to evaluate you and have you change something in your life, that person, if that person doesn't know God's Savior, they can't live up to God's standards. If that person doesn't believe, they can't behave. So here's what happens with a lot of parents who have prodigals. If you have a prodigal, either someone who used to know Jesus and walked away from it or someone who just never came to know Jesus, a son or a daughter, here's what you do. Whenever you're around them, you come around them and you, you, you throw like uh, 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 these, these legalistic bombs at them. Like, hey, uh, you know you shouldn't be drinking, right? Hey, you know you shouldn't be sleeping around, right? Hey, you know you shouldn't be doing drugs, right? Hey, did you know that this is not right? The problem is they don't care what God says. You can't give them God's standard if they don't have God's Savior. You can't expect them to behave if they don't believe. And so Jesus gives us a wonderful passage in principle for people who have prodigals. Jesus says, hey, you don't stop loving them. You don't stop. You're still ready to receive them. But like the story in the prodigal son, you look at the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son, the father's not out there looking for him, Right? Every time he, he sleeps with someone or he spends money the way he's not supposed to or drinking, the father's not there saying, son, what did I say? That's not right. No. He, he's ready to receive him. He's ready to embrace him and love him, but he doesn't force standards because the person doesn't have the Savior. I can't expect you to behave if you don't believe. Okay. Then he says, once he says who, then he says when. He says, when should we do it? He says, you should do it. Listen to this. First, verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly. So Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't judge that person. He's just saying, hey, judge yourself first. Listen, the easiest way to kill your self-righteousness is self-evaluation. And once I evaluate myself... Once I am humbled by God's law and I am taken to God's son and I believe the gospel, now I'm going to approach you totally differently, with a totally different heart. Listen, you know who the worst type of optometrist is? A blind optometrist is the worst type of optometrist. If I go to lens crafters and the dude that's about to touch my eye has a cane and some glasses on, I'm going to be like, no, you know what, I'm going to pass, man. I'm good. But when we try to help people without first dealing with our own sin, we are blind optometrists. And the best way to deal with your self-righteousness is self-evaluation. Okay? So here's what we see in, in, in light of this second truth. What Jesus is calling us to be, he's not calling us to be judges who condemn sin. 
or hypocrites who conceal sin. He is calling us to be brothers who confront sin. I'm going to go ahead and say that again. In light of what Jesus just said, he's not calling us to be judges who condemn sin or hypocrites who conceal sin. He is calling us to be brothers who confront sin. So, the first truth we see is the types of judgment. The second truth we see here is the process of judgment. And I want to conclude this morning by looking at the third and final truth, which is the standard of judgment. The standard of judgment. And here's what I mean by the standard of judgment. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed this week as I studied this passage is I was just so blown away by just the nuances that Jesus brings into this subject of judgment. And I have never preached this passage before, so I was just really, really engaged with all of it. But here's what's so crazy. The more I studied this passage on judgment and condemnation, the more judged and condemned I felt. Like the more I understood what Jesus was really saying, the more I understood how big the problem I had was. And then you know it's a big problem because in verse 1 where he says, judge not or you will be judged, any commentator worth their salt will tell you that what Jesus is saying here is that if you judge people wrong, the wrong way horizontally, you will be judged not by people but by God. The second judgment doesn't come from people because who cares what people think? It comes from God. And so the more I study this, I'm like, what are we going to do here? Like, how, how, what hope do we have? Listen, 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 listen. The more I study this passage, it started to hit, hit me. I'm like, listen, listen. What we need is not eye surgery. We need heart surgery. Listen, listen. What we need, what we need is not an optometrist. We need a savior. What we need is not behavior modification. We need a heart transformation. That's what this passage is saying. That's how serious the problem is. So listen, we all thought we had a problem. Hopefully by now I've convinced you you have a problem. But here's the thing. If you think the problem is this bad, the problem is actually that bad. The problem is way worse than what you thought. And the reason why I just can't give you an external solution is because you have an internal problem. We have an internal problem so we can't settle for external solutions. We don't need an optometrist. We need a savior. And one of the passages in the Bible that, that, that most illustrates this, that most captures the solution to this, is John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, you have one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture because of how beautiful the gospel is displayed in it. Look what it says in John chapter 8. This is the story of the woman who's caught in adultery. So the religious people catch her in adultery. They bring her to Jesus. And look what it says. The religious people, when they kept on questioning him, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Then he says, again, it says, again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, because older people are smarter than young, younger people. And then he says, and then he says uh, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And then it says, she responds, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's what's so masterful about what Jesus does in this passage. He deals with the log of the religious leaders and the speck of the woman. All at the same time. 
So the, the religious leaders have a log, and they want to do the second type of judgment, which is to condemn and to accuse and to send someone to damnation. And Jesus said, oh, okay, you want to do that? Let the one who hasn't sinned throw the first stone. And they, they can't do it because they've all sinned. So they put their stones down and, and they walk away. So he deals with their log. That's already crazy enough. Then Jesus turns around and deals with her speck. He, he looks at the woman and he says, who is here to condemn you? Because the passage says that only Jesus was left. What was crazy is the only person who was left was the only person who could condemn her. And yet he refuses to condemn her. And then look what Jesus says, and this is just mind-blowing. He says, listen, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Okay? Listen, listen. Don't miss the order here. Don't miss the order here. Because the order is important. Because I remember when I first read this passage, I thought Jesus said, go and live your life of sin. And then if you do that enough, then I won't condemn you. But that's not what he says. That's not what Jesus says. Don't miss the order. You see, because here's what a religious person would say. A religious, judgmental person would say, hey, go and live your life of sin. And if you try hard enough, then maybe I won't condemn you. That's what a religious person would say. A modern, irreligious person would say, I don't judge you at all because you were just expressing yourself sexually. So you didn't do anything wrong. Right? But Jesus doesn't do the religious thing or the, the, the irreligious thing. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more. So Jesus, he gives her the acceptance before he calls her to action. He gives her approval before he calls her to activity. He gives her redemption before he gives her any requirements. That's crazy. That's crazy what Jesus does. And the question is, why does Jesus, because you see, he doesn't lower his standards. You don't see him lowering his standards. So the question is, why doesn't Jesus lower his standards? Listen, the reason why Jesus doesn't lower his standards is because he knew that one day he would meet that standard for her. The reason why Jesus doesn't condemn her is not because she didn't do anything wrong, but because he knew that one day he would be condemned for her. The reason why Jesus doesn't judge her is because he knew that one day he would be judged for her. Jesus didn't do it to her because he was going to do it for her. Come on, church. I think I'm preaching right now. I think I'm preaching right now, okay? That's what he's saying. That's crazy. And then you, compare, you, you come back to the passage that we're looking at in verse 6. It says that, 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 that the, 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 the pearls are thrown before the pigs and the sacred food is thrown before the dogs. And the, the, the pigs and the dogs, you know what they do? They trample it. You know what that is? That parable is a picture of the gospel. Because there's another place in the scripture where the gospel is described as a pearl of great worth. And you know what that means? It means that Jesus is the pearl that came down to earth and the dogs and the pigs, which is us, what we did instead of worshiping him, we trampled him. Instead of loving him, we, we, we attacked him. It says in Isaiah 53 that we esteemed him not. And so the question is, why did Jesus do that? If he knew we were going to do that, why does Jesus come down? Jesus came down and at the cross he was judged the way we deserved so that by faith in him we might be judged the way he deserved. He took our judgment of condemnation so that we might get his judgment of commendation. At the cross, the judge became the justifier. So think about this. If the, if the problem with, with judgment, right, if, if, if the reason why we have a problem with judgment is, is, is because the unbiblical judgment is when man 
puts themselves in the place of God. That is a definition of unbiblical judgment. Unbiblical sinful judgment is when man puts themselves in the place of God. If that's true, then biblical judgment is God putting himself in the place of man. Listen, even though this problem is way worse than any of us could have ever thought, and even though this standard is way higher than any of us could have ever imagined, praise be to God that our Savior is way more glorious than any of us could have hoped. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you and we just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. That at the cross, Jesus received our judgment so that by faith in him we might receive his. He took our, our condemnation so that we might get commendation. At the cross, the judge became our justifier. Thank you. Lord, help us. Help the people who are religious with logs to, to remove those logs humbly. And help those people who are irreligious with specks to, to confess those specks confidently. Jesus, you are the answer and the solution and the savior of both. And we thank you. And we praise you. And all God's people said.